Welcome to OpenSAP Invites, your invitation to learn with us on the go. Welcome to OpenSAP Invites. I'm your host, Elisabeth Riemann, and in this episode, we'll be learning about SAP Fury Design System with Thomas Reis and hearing how it helps provide a consistent, high-quality user experience for all SAP products. We chat about design, both good and bad, and find out how SAP Fury is transforming and harmonizing the SAP user experience across apps, devices, and platforms. Discover what's to come and how SAP is simplifying, enhancing, and bringing intelligence to the enterprise user experience. Thomas Reis is Vice President of SAP User Experience Product Management, focusing on the adoption of innovations such as SAP Fury and SAP Copilot in SAP applications. Thomas joined SAP in 1993 as a developer and has had various leadership roles in development since 1995. Prior to joining SAP, he spent two years as a developer in computer security at BSF AG. He holds a PhD and an MA in Electrical and Information Sciences from the University of Cambridge, England. Let's say hello. Hello, Tom. Hi, Lizzie. Welcome to Open SAP Invites. Tom, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to Open SAP. Your latest Open SAP course, SAP Fury Overview Design, Develop and Deploy, was extremely popular with our learners, with over 41,000 enrollments since it was held in June. And the feedback has been really glowing. So before we start, congratulations to you and to everyone on the team who was involved here. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of great design and user experience. And in particular, I'm looking forward to hearing more about the new developments and enhancements that have been added to SAP Fury since the summer and discovering what comes next. Tom, I don't want to encourage you to give too much away in our intro, but you might like to give us a few hints right now about what's new and why we should stay tuned. The two most important things that have come out, actually now become available since the course was um, on the one hand, the spaces and pages with multi, um, multi-page spaces, uh, and the other one being the central entry point with the, uh, the launch pad in the cloud. Uh, and especially the latter one is something customers have been asking for many years. So it's very good that we can actually now at least have a first step on that journey. When it comes to user experience, I really love the fact that all of us really do have an opinion on what can make something really great or really terrible to use. And I think it's often these extremes that we remember most. So to go to our warm-up question, Tom, can you maybe share one of the worst or most painful examples of user experience that you've ever encountered? Yeah, actually, I've got two. One really minor one, but it shows how how the devil is in the detail, so to speak. The um, I was using um, Excel. I mean, everyone uses Excel, and Excel is normally great usability. But there was it was set up in a way that um, I had to enter my name. You know, as the originator of the entry, if I typed in my name absolutely perfectly, Thomas with a space Rice, it wouldn't accept it. But then there was a drop down box, and if I then selected my name, it looked exactly the same, and it worked. And these are the kind of usability things that just drive you nuts. So, you know, a small little thing like that, <clears throat> obviously, is not the worst experience, but that one just, you know, it, and, and these little things can make huge difference 
Another example, which I never actually saw myself, but I heard from colleagues way back when I started out at SAP, they were even telling us before I even joined, so this would be maybe in the 80s or beginning of the 90s, um, a customer actually on R2, the mainframe system, the screens weren't very big in those days, uh, they had actually configured the system so that the screen was only full of fields to enter data without any labels. So you had to know exactly what to put in each field because there's no description at all. And the user of that screen absolutely loved it because they could just enter what they had to enter all in one screen without having to, you know, go to another screen and what have you. So, you know, it was interesting because for that particular user, it was perfect. But of course, almost every, well, basically everyone else, it was a complete catastrophe from a usability point of view. So it just shows how user experience is also very user or use case specific. So Tom, in your experience, staying with design, what distinguishes good from bad user experience? And is it even possible to define something that's so subjective? Good user experience means that you you really feel comfortable using the software. It's like a, a trusted friend. You know how it works. You feel comfortable using it. You know it. It's just like a tool, like a hammer. Is you know everyone trusts the hammer to put a nail in the wall. You know you just trust the software. It'll do what I what I need it to do. Then of course a bad user experience is one where you don't really um, feel comfortable using the software because um, it does strange things, or you want it to do something and it won't do it. Or like the example I had, you enter, you know, you type in your name and it just won't accept it. What are the human and business benefits of good user experience? You mentioned some of these in the course, and I was wondering if you could recap on those for us. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, of course, if you start with the human ones, um, obviously, um, a good experience avoids the frustration that I talked about, you know, with the Excel example, um, and makes, of course, people just happier to use the system. Um, you often then actually end up with better data quality. If it's easy to use, then people are going to make fewer mistakes. And then, of course, that ends up not only being something that people are happier about, but it also you can really attach real business value to that, of course, because if you get wrong data in the system, it can be very expensive to fix it, or it could even cause wrong you know, outcomes or wrong decisions being made. Um, of course, another aspect, actually, which is perhaps relevant more for IT or for for um, or for the business, actually, is um, these days companies are you know fighting to attract uh, talent, and uh, if you want to get really good uh, motivated people, you want to give them an attractive working environment. And of course, these days the software you work with counts as part is a very important part of that working environment. And uh, if, if if you know if if you're offering people sort of really old legacy software. Uh, in mainframes or, you know, really uh, uh, stuff you don't want to work with, then, of course, that's going to be frustrating. So, you know, if you're looking for talent, then it's actually even there a key element for motivation of people. And, um, of course, other aspects are if it's, uh, the application is easy to use, then you don't need so much training. So you save costs on training. And, um, of course, having happier people. I mean, for IT, the IT department providing the software to the business, of course, it's also good for them mm -hmm. because they have a good reputation then with the business owners that they're providing them with nice solutions rather than, you know, uh, old. SAP Fury is the user experience for SAP software. And Tom, can you briefly explain its evolution to us and how it's transforming the user experience for business users? Yeah, so basically, I mean, we started out, I think it was 2013 timeframe, um, with customers wanting to give their users, you know, these kind of self-service um, 
um, applications for, for example, a leave request, you know, requesting vacation, uh, or also the typical thing is sort of managers giving approvals. So they don't normally work in the system day to day. And um, we realized, you know, the, the, the SAP GUI really wasn't uh, up to the modern state of the art user experience for these kind of casual users. So that's where we uh, looked into uh, alternatives and came up with um, Fury. Um, so HTML5, the web-based uh, application, responsive, so it runs on smartphones, tablets, as well as a desktop, which, of course, is important for these kind of casual use cases these days. And um, then we realized that actually there's a whole load more potential in, in SAP UI5, this framework, this HTML framework that we built for Fury, uh, and, of course, with the design, and uh, took it to the next level then, um, 2016, with Fury 2.0. We actually got a Red Dot Design Award. We've, in fact, got quite a few design awards uh, mm -hmm. the last few years. I think it's well over 40. <clears throat> with Fury 2.0, we, we, you know, we, we expanded it for desktop use cases. And now um, and what we also then realize is, um, although, of course, it's always been responsive, there are occasionally, you know, these uh, use cases where people are on the road all the time. And the application that they use is their tool. And, like you know, it's like the hammer for putting the nail in. It's their tool that they need when they're on the road talking to customers or, uh, or looking at assets, you know, doing maintenance, this kind of stuff. And so we realized that there's a, uh, for these cases, of course, a native mobile experience using iOS or, or Android, of course, is, you know, even better than, than a web one, especially if you have to perhaps also work offline. So we expanded Fury. Um, to be a design system that's covering not only you know, the web language, but also the native mobile languages. So we have a, a design language for iOS and for Android. And uh, we also started looking into conversational user experience a couple of years ago. Um, and with Fury 3, this is the current evolution that, that started a year ago. Um, yeah, this is sort of a multi-year journey. We're bringing all these aspects together now, adding um, aspects also like intelligence, of course, these days. How can you surface intelligence to the user? And looking also at consistency across all our products and also at integration. So this, for mm -hmm. example, like I mentioned earlier, the, the central entry point is, of course, a very key thing that is now gradually becoming available. And so, Tom, how can we avoid some of the design fails that you mentioned at the beginning and ensure, as you mentioned, that good designs harmonized across different apps and devices and that it scales? How does SAP Fury design system work here? If you're designing one application, of course, design thinking is a great way of, of understanding what the end user needs. And of course, that's always the key because then it's a, you end up building something that the user can use for their day to day work and they really feel happy with and comfortable with. Um, of course, if you're designing hundreds or thousands of apps, you need to ensure consistency across them. So if everyone just built their own app completely differently, just as they see fit for their use case, each one might fit the use case, but if you start using two or three different apps, you'll get completely confused. So you need to have a certain amount of coherency so that you know you have, for example, simple things like action placement. Where do you find the save button? Where do you find the edit button? You know, you don't want to have it in one application top right, the other one bottom left, and the other one maybe in the middle or on the right somewhere. So you have to have this consistency where to put the buttons. Then, of course, if you're, if you're listing data, what does a list look like? What does a table look like? So this is where we have the, uh, the, the Fury design system coming in. That it really defines not only how individual buttons look like and labels look like and what a table looks like, but also how they together. So we're defining sort of common floor plans and uh, uh, guidelines on where to place actions and these kind of things. Um, not only for the web, like I said, also for iOS and for Android. So uh, we have the whole uh, design system. And a design mm -hmm. system, of course, is not only these guidelines, of course, we provide stencils and so on, but it's also the methods behind it that we define a persona. So when you're doing, you know, designing your application, of course, you talk to end users, but then you define a sort of proto end users. 
you know, let's say you were maybe working in sales, and we'd say, okay, you're, you're working in sales, and, you, and you've got this background, and these are the kind of things you're expecting. This is what 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 is important for you. Uh, so, you know, defining a persona is important, um, and um, of course, doing um, well, design reviews internally, uh, etc. So, you know, we have the whole. Uh, the whole process there. Looking at things like accessibility is also, of course, part a key key part of the um, design system as well. And when you say accessibility, which aspects do you mean there? What what's covered by accessibility? One of our absolute corporate values is is inclusion. That we include people who have disabilities of all kinds. And of course, for user experience, these are typically then more visual impairments. So, for example, we have high contrast versions of Fury, high contrast black or high contrast white. So, you know, if you, if you um, need a higher contrast, then you can use that. Uh, other aspects are also keyboard enablement. So people who have problems using a mouse, for example, they can at least... Um, use a keyboard and even even for people who, who really can't even see anything or hardly anything on the screen um, there, for example there are things like screen readers which will actually read out the elements that are on the screen so that you can at least that way grasp what's there and, and, and work with the system and accessibility is very very important um, in, in many uh, countries for example if you're if you're providing software for, for the um, government they actually stipulate it must be accessible, and also uh, large corporations often have that stipulation that uh, you're not basically allowed to give software to employees if it's actually not accessible. Even if the vast majority of the workforce doesn't need it, it's an absolute you know rule has to be accessible so you don't uh, um, basically exclude people who have disabilities. And that's so important. And you talked a little bit as well about the whole workflows and the whole interview process and coming up with the personas and doing the research. Just so we can get an idea for it, how long does that whole process take? I think the important thing, of course, is getting access to customers, users, if you like, that so we have, you know, get the end users that we can talk to. From then, actually, it's, it, I mean, it depends, of course, also, is it a completely new area? where we have to understand what the business really, you know, what are they doing, what is the motivation, or is it something where we're designing maybe a, a new version of an app or a new app in a domain that's familiar to us? So, I mean, obviously, for example, SAP, um, we've got huge functionality in financials. And so if we're building new uh, Fury apps, for example, um, to cover functionality that's already covered with the classic UIs, for example, obviously we have a lot of domain knowledge. So that's a much quicker process. I mean, we still want to check how are people working these days because the old UIs were built, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago. Um, so it's obviously important still to check uh, how are people working these days, what do they expect now uh, versus what they used to expect. But of course, that's a much quicker process. Whereas if it's a completely new domain, then obviously you need more time to understand what the users are doing. Let's stay with the topic of how users work. Our customers have different requirements. So in certain cases, they might want and need to deviate from the standard. How easy is it for them to configure and make changes to existing SAP apps? If we've developed applications, um, of course, one of the key selling points, if you like, of SAP software is that it's very uh, um, powerful um, or it can be very easily configured, I should say. Uh, so there's a huge range of configuration possibilities to fit the various business needs. And um, 
One important aspect with the with Fury, of course, is that you can configure the UI. So the Fury apps, we have this so-called UI flexibility, which means that uh, um, even if we ship a UI in a certain way, uh, uh, customer administrators, for example, or even key users, can change the, the the way the application looks. So they could hide fields that are not relevant, perhaps, for the customer. They could move fields or regroup them in different ways. And, and, and the, the other aspect that's important is that end users themselves, they can also personalize a lot. So... Um, one thing that's very powerful, actually, if you have all of these lists, often you have a lot of different filters that you apply, uh, and you can very easily save variants of an application. So you might have, um, for a certain sales organization you're working in or a certain country, you could have a, a certain set of uh, filters for that. You save them as a variant and you just choose the variant and then off you go. And of course, on the launch pad itself, also users can do a lot of personalization, putting their favorite tiles all in one page. And how will we go about developing native SAP Fury apps? Okay, for now developing apps, which of course we do, but also customers and partners can do. Um, again, of course, it depends obviously on the use case, but let's take a typical sort of desktop use case. Then our app, the recommendation definitely is, is use SAP UI 5, a very powerful framework. Um, if you were just doing native JavaScript, HTML, then you really would be doing a lot of development work. Uh, I mean, obviously there are a whole lot of frameworks out there these days, but uh, SAP UI 5, um, has the whole Fury design system, if you like, in its uh, built-in. So that, of course, makes it much, much easier to, to make sure that you're following the design guidelines. And, of course, following the design guidelines saves you a lot of time designing applications because, of course, you can imagine there are so many different ways in, in principle that you could put together a, a UI. Of course, it helps you a lot if you've got already certain patterns and, and recommendations. You know, if you want to do a list, do it this way. If you want to go to details, do it this way. You know, where to put the buttons, what kind of buttons, what should a filter bar look like? So uh, already from a design point of view, you save a lot of time by having the Fury design system. And then if you use SAP UI 5, of course, it's very easy to develop because all the controls are there already as specified by the design system. And um, very often in business, um, we, we see very uh, typical patterns. For example, you, know, you have a list of, of sales orders or a list of, of uh, accounts uh, that you need to process. Then you need to maybe look at an individual account. So you need uh, to look at the business object, we call that, or you look at a product or a, you know, a supplier. Um, so these kind of patterns are very, very typical. And we have um, something called Fury Elements, which allows you to actually build applications with these patterns out of the box without any JavaScript coding. Um, and uh, you, of course, the right OData service. It's not all magic. There's no free lunch with development. But if you have the right OData service with the annotations telling you, you know, which the semantics of a field, like you know, this is the amount, this is the uh, uh, the the, the um, unit of measure, for example, these go together, then you can just get the UI with your elements straight out of the box. Very efficient, kind of almost kind of low-code development. So that's low-code development, right? That's really good for citizen developers and people who want to make the changes well, pretty quickly, not, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're we're heading towards. So, you know, if, if I give an outlook, uh, you know, where are we heading towards? It's, it, is, it is, of course, towards more the low-code development environment. Mm -hmm. um, and in that sense, Fury Tools is a, is, a, is a step in that direction. I wouldn't yet call it, you know, maybe out in the market, low code is, is perhaps even lower <laughs> development background. So I think you're probably still, a, if you're doing Fury Elements, you're probably still a developer, but you mm -hmm. really don't need to know very much about uh, how it all works. So it really okay. is, in that sense, low effort, low hurdle. And if we look at classic UIs, can you tell us how SAP is applying the SAP Fury design to existing products and applications? 
And if you're building new applications, it's very easy. You can build them from scratch with uh, SAP UI5, for example, or of course on iOS. But we do have a lot of products out there, uh, the digital core itself, but of course also the cloud products that we've partly acquired over the years. And so what we're doing there is we're um, defined, first of all, we establish a kind of design council within SAP with representatives from each of the lines of business and uh, agree together that Fury 3 is the direction for all of us, for the whole company. And then we define together also first steps on the adoption path to get a consistent or coherent look and feel across our product. So the very first steps are basically applying the theme that we have, you know, the colors and the and the font and so on of, of, of the Fury 3, the Quartz theme it's called, and also this shell header bar at the top. So, you know, this thin bar at the top of every screen where you have, for example, the menu uh, to, to um, or you have the help or notifications. Um, this uh, we've also standardized because uh, also, you know, it's a small thing, but every product had it, had it looking a little bit different. So we standardized on that. And other aspects that, for example, we're looking at is, you know, the action placement. Like I said, where do you put the save button, the execute button, so that these are all in similar places. <coughs> and um, so, you know, step by step, uh, we're working on that. Another area. You know, technology-wise, we're looking into is, is how can we, for example, provide web components because you know, from a business point of view, it's just not feasible that these products kind of throw away their old technology and just completely rebuild the UI. Mm -hmm. uh, it just it wouldn't make business sense. So uh, instead, we're looking at how can we help enable them. And for example, web components is, 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 looks very promising as a means for allowing them to sort of reuse parts that are already fulfilling the, 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 the Fury um, guidelines. I think consistency is key, right? You said it's kind of giving everything the same look and feel, uh -huh. deciding where the actions are displayed and things. And one thing that I've often wondered is, how does the discussion go when you're deciding where the save button should be or where certain central functions are? Because I could guess that's very subjective too. Um, are there very long drawn out research phases, discussions, workshops to really fine tune and optimize everything? Well, I mean, well, first of all, perhaps you're asking the wrong person because I'm, I'm a product manager and not a designer, so uh, I'm not directly involved in all these design <laughs> discussions. But, um, but yes, I mean, I do see there is a lot of work that went into the whole design system. And sometimes, you know, out from, looking from outside, you sort of think, why did that take so long? But of course, it is because there is a lot, um, there's a lot of discussions, but also uh, there's a lot of um, user research that is done. So, um, you know, you can actually do usability testing where you kind of build um, mock-up applications, right? And then you simply ask people, you know, do an ABC comparison. Okay, you have this task to do. Um, please do it. You watch them doing it. And of course, maybe at the end of the task, they have to then press an execute button or, a, you know, a save button. And then you see how quickly do they find the save button. Or maybe mm -hmm. you give them a num you know, number of different tasks to do and then the save button's in, in one place or another, or you know. So there are actually, it, it's not just sort of argumentation and I think this is better and so on. You can really actually do this kind of user research. Um, and actually nowadays, of course, with the digital world, it's quite easy. You can, um, you can even get, um, you know, for a small fee, people are, um, are willing to, to contribute to, to these kind of user research activities. If it's just something that's not directly related to the business scope of the function, but, you know, something like that. And then you can get quite easily a whole loads of people uh, doing this kind of 
participating in, this, in, in these kind of little research activities. And is it true that as part of the user research, you can track the way users' eyes move around the screen as they perform certain tasks? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it depends. It depends. Of course, that's something you can't do so easily remotely. Um, but yes, yeah, so if we have, uh, for example, in events where, where we have, we, we can, of course, do eye tracking to see how where people are looking. That can be very powerful. Um, of course, what we can also do is um, track where the mouse has been moved. That's, that's, of course, also a powerful mechanism, yeah. That's good to really hear about the design aspects and, and the user research as well. Then. Yeah, but like I said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a designer. If we look now at the operational side, can you tell us a little bit more about SAP Fury Launchpad and how this works as an entry point? If you've got hundreds of applications you want to start, then, of course, you need some way of accessing them. And um, obviously, if you look at the smartphones these days, or or or, or you know Windows, for example, then um, you've got um, basically what well, well, on the launchpad we call them tiles uh, to actually launch applications. And so, basically, the launchpad is is exactly this is your kind of your start page for launching the applications. Um, what we've realized is, of course, especially if you have hundreds of applications uh, available to you, you need to have more ways of organizing it. So just recently, we've introduced what we call the spaces concept. It's one of the Fury 3 innovations, um, which means you have far more flexibility in how you lay out these pages. So before, we just had one page that had groups, and then you could you know, group the tiles in groups and, and navigate to the various groups. Um, now what we have is more than one page. So instead of having just the one page, you can have multiple pages. And uh, these pages can be grouped into what we call spaces. And the space we kind of say should be applied for a certain role that you have. So maybe you're you're a sales manager, but you also partly do occasionally also sales, you know, sales representative work as well, right? Often, you know, you have access to both functions. So you'd have a space for you with the pages that you need as a manager. And you'd have a space with the pages that you need, you know, if you're doing, uh, working as an internal sale. As before, users can personalize it uh, so that you could give users empty space and then they can just simply uh, define their own sections and and apps that they add and pages that they add to this space. So, so uh, or at least that one page, they could, they could configure the page um, and just put their favorites there. We have the approach that, you know, we shouldn't put all the applications that you could possibly access on these pages because that would then really make them very full, but only the ones that you, that you regularly use or are important to you. Um, and that means, of course, then there, there are some that are not on a page anywhere. So how do you find those? So basically, there are three ways of doing that. You can use search very easily. So that's powerful. As you know, you know, Windows or whatever, you can do it. You just start typing the name of the application, find it, and start it. We actually also have a menu in um, Fury in the launch pad at the top, and also what we call the App Finder, which is what you use also for um, personalizing it yourself. Uh, in the App Finder, you have access also to all the, all the applications. Mm-hmm. I really like that it reduces the number of apps that you have visible in one space at a particular time. So it really is based on your role, your particular um, tasks that you do frequently, mm-hmm. and you're not kind of overwhelmed by the full wealth of all yeah. the different apps yeah, that are available. That's the idea, absolutely. That's a really good approach. And Tom, in your latest Open SAP course, you introduced the vision for the central entry point for mm-hmm. SAP Cloud Platform. And you outlined here how it would really help integrate SAP products in the cloud and also on premise and how it would enable a consistent and coherent user experience. So I really want to ask you today, can you give us an update there? The good news is we 
it is now available, at least in a first step. Obviously, we're, we're expanding and, and adding new features. Um, but the, the, the idea, of course, is, I mean, we have many customers have more than one system, one, one product from SAP. Um, often they have even more than one even S4HANA system or uh, maybe an S4HANA system and a business suite systems. They can be distributed around the world or, um, you know, regionally. Um, and, of course, we have other products like success factors like Conquer, Ariba, and so on. And... Um, Today, each of these products has their own start page, for example. And of course, customers would like to give their users, um, let's say a user has to use three or four of these different products, they want to give them, if you like, one start page. So one place they go, and they can access their apps. And this is exactly the idea with this central entry point that we have with the, um, the, the, the SAP Free Launchpad. And... Um, the launchpad today in the past has been you know, provided by, by um, the SAP Fury front-end server in, in on-premise uh, or also in Svahana Cloud. Um, and now we have as an additional technology the SAP Cloud Platform launchpad. So that runs obviously on the SAP Cloud Platform, Cloud Foundry, and basically also provides spaces and pages. And you can hook it up to multiple back-end systems. And um, of course, what makes it particularly powerful is this content federation that is now available with S4HANA 2020, or in fact, with the in fact with the S4HANA or the SAP Fury front-end server uh, 2020 for S4HANA, because that actually supports also S4HANA 1809 and 1909. Um, so basically, there, if you're defined spaces and pages in your S4HANA system, you can basically connect it up with the central launchpad, press a button. And these pages, uh, spaces and pages will be copied up to the central system. And from then on, the users can just access the central launchpad to get to that S4 system. And of course, if you had three or four S4 systems, you could, of course, define the spaces and pages accordingly and have them all available up in the central system. Mm-hmm. So at the moment... Really good to bring it all together. Yeah, to bring it together. We also have this federation for the portal, enterprise portal, and of course, also for any apps that you've built on SAP Cloud Platform, Cloud Foundry they can also automatically be included there. Um, you can manually today integrate Business Suite. We're planning, in fact, to also allow that for the Federation going forward sometime next year. And of course, we're also planning, obviously, to then broaden the reach by including cloud products. So for the moment, it's at Sahara on-premise. That was the on-premise customers were, were the ones asking for it most, if you like. But going forward, of course, the idea is that we can also integrate, for example, success factors or rebounds so on into this central entry point. Really good. Can you tell us how you do that technically? What has to be done to set up the connections with, with Cloud Platform? Um, well, basically, I mean, you need a Cloud Connector, of course, for your on-premise system. And uh, we have uh, um, some new apps um, available for, for, for basically doing the administration and setting up. You have to basically connect up. Um, in fact, I think it's at the moment two two kind of uh, remote connections from the from the launch pad in the cloud to the to the backend system one of them for, for basically accessing the metadata and the other one is then used for the data you know the actual data connection when when users log on and then basically mm-hmm. um, you define which role you want to have um, moved up so to speak and then the spaces and pages get automatically uh, brought up so it really is quite quite simple to do Looking to the future, can you share with us what's planned for SAP Fury, first of all, in the coming months? And maybe also, if possible, I'd love to hear how you're bringing intelligence, though, AI, to the enterprise user experience. Maybe you can give us an overview there of what's to come and what we can look forward to. I mentioned the central entry point. I mean, at the moment, for example, you can define the spaces in the S4 system and send them up to the central system. But um, at the moment, you can't, for example, then start 
redefining the spaces and, and you're know, taking tiles from one and putting them onto another page of another system or whatever, or just completely mixing it up um, as you might want to do. Um, but of course, that's obviously something we have on the roadmap. So more powerful ways of defining spaces and managing them uh, in, in the central entry point. Of course, like I mentioned, also uh, providing content federation, for example, for business suite systems. Um, so we're planning, in fact, to, to support the front end server six in that direction. And um, um, of course, also other, other SAP products, cloud products. We're also working on a simpler kind of integration. We call it a product switch, which simply would mean between the cloud products that, you know, wherever you are in one application, let's say it's Fahana, you could just switch to the homepage of your of your SuccessFactor system. So that's, of course, a simpler kind of integration. That's also something we're planning for next year. Um, and actually, something just came out a few a few days ago, in fact, is uh, we've actually downported the Quartz Dark theme also to um, basically the UI5 version that's used in the long-term maintenance um, and uh, uh, available then for also for the front-end service. So even business suite systems can also now, if they want to, use the Quartz Dark theme as well. Um, coming to your topic, intelligence, um, I mean, one of the we haven't really talked about it very much. One one powerful way that we are surfacing intelligence is, is the business situations, you know, the situation handling approach that we have, um, where you can deal with not so common situations. So not, you know, I mean, not, not the day-to-day -day thing like deliveries arriving, trucks arriving. I mean, that would be a work list kind of application, but maybe something like a contract is expiring, which doesn't happen very often. So you might forget about it. So you want, you know, you have some, um, action to be taken or a very nice example actually is a supplier who's actually maybe confirmed a delivery has suddenly said look something went wrong i can't actually deliver everything as planned so now you have to react find another supplier and so on and so the system will give you a proactive notification and then you can clicking on the notification takes you to a situation overview so to speak which explains the situation and gives you even proposes alternatives how to deal with it and we have some um some examples of this already um uh, with variants, for example, of an object page, but uh, what we have, what what we plan to do from a design point of view is have a real dedicated um, situation page that can really bring together all the information, give you the proposals with even explanations. And uh, just recently, we we in fact shipped the very first version of this or first idea of this for this message-based situation handling, where you can deal with. Uh, messages or error messages, basically, if they, if they come up uh, with a long uh, kind of batch report that runs overnight. You don't want to have users having to always check the error logs because normally everything goes through. So, you know, they might not check and then they miss something. So now we have a you can have situations attached there and customers can configure what kind of proposed actions should be done to deal with, with individual messages. So that's, um, that's a first step in that direction. So situation handling, of course, is a big thing. And of course, another thing that we're looking into, I mentioned it, you know, the co-pilot, uh, the, the natural language interaction is being re-engineered at the moment. And, um, I'm, I'm convinced this is going to be a really big thing in the future. I think it's a, it's perhaps an underestimated engineering challenge. I mean, it's quite easy to do simple search-like things that we get, you know, if you're using Siri or Alexa or so on in that specific domain. Of course, in a business context, it can get quite tricky finding a, a scalable solution because, of course, we have, you know, like I said, hundreds of or thousands of, of, of UIs, uh, use cases at SAP. But I think, you know, if we, once we get that nut cracked, if you like, and, um, and, uh, have, have the chatbots or the, or the digital assistant available, that will really help users. You know, you can just 
get information much quicker than having to you know find the app click it maybe do select some filters to to find the what you know the, the quotation that you worked on yesterday whereas if you could just say that give me the quotation i worked on yesterday and there it is that's of course much quicker so so that's of course the, the dream we have there um we have to see we have a beta program running at the moment with Esfahana with the chatbots we're, le- we're looking at the results from that and at the moment, considering we're in, the, we're in the planning stage at the moment to see what we do with that next year. A lot of exciting things to come then, potentially. So yeah. I guess we should watch this space. And uh, yeah, very good. Thank you for sharing those insights. One more thing to mention, actually, I just realized, um, and we talked about the launch pad and, and you know, we have the cards, uh, sorry, the, the tiles there. Um, of course, we're also looking at providing richer visualization. So, so next year, for example, uh, we're, we're planning to provide what we call flat tiles, so half-height tiles, either in the single width or double width, so you can simply get more tiles on the screen if you like, um, and also having sections that just contain links, for example. So if you don't need the additional information that you can put on a tile, you could also just have a section just with links to directly open up applications that way. So that's certainly something um, that we're planning for next year. And of course, we're continuing to look into going further and actually provide even cards on these uh, home pages, which um, would potentially provide even more information. But um, yeah, that's one of those things where we're also, again, doing a bit of user research. Does it really help users actually having a card, or is it just something that looks like, you know looks nice on a marketing slide? but actually users don't need it. It makes sense, lots of potential optimizations. And I think it's really good to get that user feedback as well and find out, okay, do they like the cards? And if so, what use cases do they see for them? How is it really going to help them and helps us really focus our development on the real priorities that our customers have at the end of the day? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, talking of that, perhaps also something to mention is, uh, I mean, we mentioned it, I touched on it earlier, you know, how are we getting the the, the Fury design into the the existing systems, if you like, and... um, one thing that we've, we've looked at with, with Eswahana, I mean, we've got a lot of new Fury applications. You know, we give people the launch pad. Um, but we also see, um, doing this user research, we see a lot of users, of course, uh, we have a lot of professional users. They have a certain way of working using shortcuts that they're comfortable with that. And we've realized, actually, if you look at the Fury design, the, we haven't catered to that quite as well as we could have done, perhaps. I mean, because we had a different focus. So we need to expand in that direction. We now have a project running to bring together, if you like, the the, the Fury um, user experience and more the classical UI user experience to make that work better together so that people who are more familiar with the classical way of working can profit better from Fury and vice versa. So even you know, aspects of Fury could also be brought together. And we've seen also some aspects that are slightly different um, where we're looking at making those also then the same across the technology. So we've investing a little bit in the, in the good old SAP GUI technology, for example, to bring that closer and to put improvements there, but also looking at Fury as well itself and seeing how we could perhaps you know, make things quicker there, maybe make navigation quicker even than it is today. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of exciting things coming. Yeah, and it's just really nice to hear how things have developed from 2013 from the very early days. And now that you're really looking at all the different users, all the different contexts, the different use cases, um, that's really fantastic. So, Tom, if I can ask you now about your learning recommendations, I wanted to ask what courses or tutorials would you recommend for beginners who now want to get started with SAP Fury? Well, I mean, the, the obvious one would, would, of course, be if you're not already amongst the 40 plus thousand people who've <laughs> enrolled for, the, uh, for the, uh, the, the Fury Overview course, then obviously that would be the, the number one course to have a look at, definitely. 
um, and um, it's, it's four weeks. But you know, uh, if you're not familiar with Open SAP, um, uh, four weeks sounds like a lot, but um, basically each unit is typically about fifteen minutes. So um, it's actually pretty easy, and a, a week typically has five units. So you're not really talking about huge amounts of effort, but um, so that would definitely be be a recommendation. Um, if you if you want a bit more relaxed uh, or additional information, then do have a look at the Fury site chats. Uh, they've all been recorded. Uh, we're, we're pausing them at the moment, but we do plan to pick it up again later. Uh, that's of course a nice uh, mechanism. Something to keep your eyes open for. It depends, of course. I mean, um, if you're developing, then um, there's backend development and there's frontend development, of course. So if you're if you're wanting to develop with with you know UI five, get more details there. There is actually an SAP UI5 open SAP course. I think it's been around for a year now. You can certainly have a look at that. We are in fact right now in the process of putting together a course for Fury Elements and Fury Tools. And I didn't mention Fury Tools before. So basically Fury Tools um, are plugged into the SAP Business Application Studio. So it's a, it's a very easy way of guiding users to actually build Fury Elements. So that makes it really easy to do. And you can even use it off, offline also with Microsoft um, Visual Studio. So Visual Studio Code. So that's um, also a very, very easy way for, for, for developing Fury Elements. And we're putting together right now an open SAP course for that, which I expect will come out sometime next year, open for that. And the other aspect I mentioned, of course, is backend. So we do actually also have open SAP courses for what we call the cloud application programming model. So CAP, C-A-P, uh, for SAP Cloud Platform, of course. And we also have one for what's called RAP, which is the ABAP RESTful um, programming model. I love those acronyms, RAP and CAP. <laughs> yeah, so those are the two courses to have a look at if, you, if you're wanting to learn about how to efficiently build our data services. Yeah, so we'll include all these links to the recommendations to the courses in the show notes and, of course, with the Fury side chats as well. They're really good. To conclude today's episode, could I ask you, and it's probably difficult, but can I ask you to summarize your three all-time favorite aspects of SAP Fury? Well, first of all, I love the modern design. Maybe you know people looking at first thing, oh, it looks a bit sort of simple, maybe a bit grey. The quartz theme, you know, is maybe not quite as colourful. But of course, if you're working day to day on 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 applications, then you you don't want to have it to be too colourful. You want to have it nice and kind of uh, relaxing, if you like, um, and um, this sort of coherency that you have, uh, the interactions that you have with Fury. It's, um, you, 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 like I say, you, you know how it works. You've got, you know, the, the, the flexibility with the variants that you can do. And once you've started using a couple of apps, you know exactly how the other apps are going to work. Another thing which I really like about Fury is, is in fact, the, the, the possibilities you have, what we call embedded analytics, where you can put in charts uh, and um, other visualizations of the data. And even like we have with the analytical list page, you can even filter on the chart. So, you know, you're looking at a big list of data, but you see the charts visualizing um, what's actually in this long table with, I don't know, 50 or 1,000 entries or 100,000 entries. And you can filter on, um, you get a visual representation of the data, how, how many are in a certain category, for example. You can click on that and filter that way. So this kind of graphical filtering, I think, is actually very powerful. Another aspect that I like about it is not just about the design, but uh, actually fewer elements and fewer tools. We've identified these typical patterns that people have in business um, software, and that you can just so easily actually go and develop them. And not just um, the trivial list, but you have, if you're using these fewer elements, you get, you get search, you get the filter parameters. The whole application is accessible out of the box. Um, 
It's um, you can do things like you know export to Excel. All these things you get completely for free. And uh, especially accessibility is something not to be ignored. I mean, that is something that typically is a lot of effort. People very quickly can put together a nice looking UI and then they spend months and months and months on top making it accessible. Whereas with, with UI5 and uh, of course with these three elements patterns, you just get all of that out of the box. So that's, if you like, the third aspect is the, you know, the, the related tool set that we have uh, with 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 the Fury design system, and of course, not just Fury tools, and we've got the, the SDKs for iOS and Android as well to make it really easy to actually develop it. Yeah. Really good. Thank you so much. It's been really brilliant to chat with you today, all about user experience at SAP, and specifically as well to learn more about the new developments and planned innovations. Tom, thank you so so very much. Okay, well, thank you, Lizzie, for, for interviewing me, and I hope our listeners uh, also profited from it a bit. Open SAP is SAP's free learning platform for massive open online courses, microlearnings, and podcasts. Check out our free learning content on open.sap.com. The Open SAP course, SAP Fury Overview, Design, Develop, and Deploy, ran for four weeks starting June 9, 2020. You can still access the course content and learn for free in self paced mode on open.sap.com. Thanks for listening to Open SAP Invites. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, rate, and leave a review. And don't miss your next invite. Subscribe now.